welcome to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, as always, from the uh, Seattle area, greater Seattle metropolitan Tacoma area, is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, man, it's uh, it's good to be here, and uh, I'm ready to rumble. Let's, uh, let's do some baseball history. I am so excited for this show, Mark. We just got <laughs> done interviewing our guest for today, and it was an absolute incredible experience. And talk about baseball history. We spoke to 1962 World Series MVP, Ralph Terry. And I cannot wait to share this with our listeners, Mark. The guy has, I mean, we've had some guys with some great stories, not taking anything away from them. But this guy tells some stories with some definite names that you are going to recognize. Yeah. I, I mean, it was it was so good. We were fortunate enough uh, that he stuck around. That we're we're, we're going to have to make this into a two parter because he had so many great stories, and he's got such a great memory. After worrying, he, he he was a little worried about his memory, and he is running down games from the '60s pitch by pitch for us. It is an absolutely mm-hmm. incredible time. He was amazing to chat with. He really was. Yeah, so we will get to that. Like I said, uh, Ralph Terry is coming up later in the show. But first, Mark, let us make sure that we're prepared because we, we really do need to be stretched out and ready for this, uh, this show today. So let's get into our BP segment. I don't know if you know this, Mark, but baseball season's over with. I had a fit of a crying fit today when I finally realized it, yes. Yeah, so the Japan uh, playoffs are just getting ready to start in the NPB. Korean League is down to there. I think they're in their final series now. The uh, Taiwanese League wrapped up last week. I have actually been watching a lot of stuff from Japan, but it is not baseball. I've been watching a lot of sumo the past month or so. (laughs) We're going to start a sumo show next? Uh, Possibly. This could become a uh, sumo show, but I I, I saw something that was interesting because I started doing some research on the history of sumo as I was watching it and, and so forth. And the record for consecutive sumo wins is from a gentleman that went by the name of Futabayama. He won 69 consecutive sumo matches between 1936 and 1939. There have since, there's been two streaks of 63 wins, which the most recent was in 2010. And this really reminded me of Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. And it, it got me... To think it, because I mean, this is just one of those things that's just once in a just generation, somebody even comes close to this mark. And the number is right. not completely dissimilar <laughs> either to, to Jody's hitting streak. So it got me to thinking about streaks and records and which ones will actually never be broken. And you see a lot of stories about this where you go, oh, Cal Ripkins, you know, games played and and, and so on and so forth. It got me to thinking about some ones, and I wanted to run them past you as to whether you think they'll ever happen again. First one, Johnny Vandermeer, back-to-back no-hitters. Will this ever happen yeah. again? I, I, it could, but it would have to be a really dominant pitcher uh, in a really dominant time of, of his career. I truly doubt it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, again, and we kind of talk with this uh, about this with Ralph Terry, you don't see many complete games, and uh, guys are throwing a lot more pitches than they used to. I, I'm not sure if it's gonna be. It's gonna be tough. You don't see that many no hitters, let alone back to back. I mean, that's that's kind of mind boggling. But it is doable. 
it yeah. is very doable compared to some of these other things. I okay. want to know, do you think anybody will ever break Cy Young's record for losses? So, of course, 313, 315. So he, okay. he, he holds the record for wins at 511, which right. is never going to probably be broken. But do you think anybody could ever stick around to lose 315 games? Like, um, which of those do you think is, yeah. is more doable, the win record or the losses? Uh, well, I don't think anybody's going to get to the win record unless, you know, we, we, we go to six legalize bionics. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but at losses, I mean, there's there are some guys in the Hall of Fame that have, uh, Nolan Ryan, I know off the top of my head, has over has 290 losses, 292, which isn't that far off. So that one, losses could happen, but... 500 wins, I think that's way out of anybody's uh, possibility zone. All right. Next one is the aforementioned Nolan Ryan. Strikeouts, 5,714. 5,714. Anybody is <laughs> going to reach that. that. <laughs> you, you now know his pin for all of his bank accounts, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just don't see it. Nolan Ryan's a one-in-a-million pitcher, and... Uh, to have the longevity with the uh, velocity he had, uh, that would be a tough one. I think 57-14 is going to stay there for a good long while. Okay. How about this one? I think this one could be broken. Fernando Tatis hitting two grand slams in the same inning. <laughs> yeah. It could be done again, sure. But uh, well, do you think someone will hit feat. three? Do you think, I mean, to break that, you've got to hit three grand slams in one inning. I was thinking more of a tie. Uh, I, I can't see batting around. Although you never know. I mean, yeah, I've seen I, some bad baseball I, teams. I, I, I played on a few. I, I could see it happening. I, I really could. I mean, it's it might never happen for the next 300 years, but it's something that could happen, especially, you know, with the lack of quality pitching that we see in the big leagues now. Uh, if you're in a blowout and you've got a position player in there throwing, who who's to say that you don't come up three times with the bases loaded in the same inning? I don't know. Yeah. That was kind of interesting to uh, to think of some of these records and which ones could and couldn't be broken. Sure. Yeah. How about DiMaggio's hit streak? I think that'll be broken. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be broken it's in think a special hitter, but I, I think it can be done. It, it would take a very special hitter, though. I think it's more likely to be broken than, say, Ripken's consecutive games played. I do. Sure. Cy Young Awards were announced last week. Yes. And Trevor Bauer was named the 2020 Cy Young Award winner for the National League. This was interesting because he was on the Reds last year. This is the first time a member of the Reds has ever won a Cy Young Award. Which What? is amazing the reds have been around a long time yeah well i mean of course the cy young award has not been around as long as the as we mentioned the red legs have but uh, they never won that award until this year so that was uh uh, finally the 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 mark falls for cincinnati i guess the next one is the is the mariners making the playoffs that's it's all that's left man (laughs) (laughs) um i do hate to bring it up, but we do need to uh, get into a kangaroo court session here. Um, This is nothing that a listener brought to us. This was me catching this. 
So I just oh, want to okay. make it clear out there that, I, that we caught this and that uh, our listeners have somehow fumbled the ball here and not called us on this one. A couple shows ago, show 84, the answer to the trivia question was correct-ish. I needed to, I needed to, I needed to word the question differently. The question was, who was the last switch hitter to win an MVP award? And it, the answer that I gave was Vita Blue. I don't believe that I specified the last American League switch hitter to win an MVP award. Because um. J. Roll, Jimmy Rollins did it for the Phillies in 2007. Uh, now, if that was the only thing I had to say, that wouldn't be that bad. But then, you know, Chipper Jones won it in 99. Ken Caminiti <laughs> won it in 96. Terry Pendleton <laughs> won it in 91. Willie McGee won it in 85. And Pete Rose won it in 73. So, so we missed just a little, like maybe a couple got only past six, us. Only six players <laughs> in the National League uh, had done it. That's embarrassing, yeah, that is. But again, I want I want to mention that nobody corrected us. That's this, this is us proactively doing it. So I think that gives us a little bit of leeway next time we say something. Yes. Stupid. I think so. <laughs> um, as uh, many people noticed, and I'm not joking, many people noticed that we did not have a trivia question last week. And uh, that is on me. I <laughs> I worded the question incorrectly and when i gave it to uh, to mark he came up with two or three answers that uh, completely broke my trivia question and so we <laughs> we just went ahead and snipped that that ended up on the editing room floor because we do use a reel to reel to record this and uh, we just did not have a trivia question last week and we apologize we will make it up though with a great trivia question this week so I, I mentioned Cy Young Awards were given out last week. So were the Manager of the Year Awards. And it was a, a state of Florida sweep in that category. Don Mattingly for the Marlins, Kevin Cash for the Rays, both won the uh, Amer uh, National League and American League Managers of the Year, respectively. So we're going to go back to the well, to one of our favorite type of questions I want to know who has the most hits combined while playing for both the Marlins and the Rays. <laughs> so this is similar to our Yankees Mets who had the, who had the most hits while a right. member of the Yankees and the Mets. You don't have to have played exclusively just for the Marlins and the Rays, but for guys that had played for both the Marlins and Rays at some point in their career, who holds the record for most hits while on those two teams? That That is a, a very tough question. I have, I don't even have a lead here. This isn't Yankees, you know, going back to the early 1900s. So you don't have that many guys to choose from. But sure. I, I still think you're going to have to do quite a bit of digging to come up with the answer here. Yeah, nothing's on top of my head except my massive head of hair. So there you go. Most, uh, most hits combined while playing for the Marlins and the Rays. We will give you the answer to that question next week. Mark, let us now get ready to listen to the first part of our interview with our guest this week. And just to run down a couple of, of feats for our guest. He's a two-time All-Star. He 
won as an active player two World Series. He was on three World Series teams, and he was a World Series MVP in 1962. We have talked about the 1960 World Series. I think we've had three different shows where we dedicated a major segment to that World Series. Yeah. Ralph Terry was the last player to touch that ball that Bill Mazeroski hit in Game 7 that made Mickey Mantle cry. And then we talked about uh, we talked about the kid that picked up the ball and what happened to it just recently. We have talked about Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. We have talked about Vern Law with Vern Law's son. Vern Law pitched in that game. We've talked with yep. Tom Sturdivant's grandson, who was traded for Ralph Terry at one point, as well as was a teammate of his in New York. We've got a whole bunch of ties to Ralph Terry, and now we're going to talk to him about some of his time in baseball. So, Mark, let's just get right into it here with our special guest, World Series MVP from 1962, Mr. Ralph Terry. Let's do it. We're just going to start in 1960 and get just get that out of the way. Um, sure. Because it was incredible story, an incredible series. Probably not the highlight of your career, but to be involved in such an incredible game. Mm-hmm. What do you remember most about the, the 1960 World Series and, and I guess in particular Game 7? Oh, wow. Well, I don't know. We we all the games we won were blowouts, you know, <laughs> and we lost some close games. Uh, I lost uh, I lost the fourth game at three to two, and uh, and I came back in relief in the uh, in the seventh game, and it was um, <clears throat> that was a wild game. It went back and forth. They said that that was a game where nobody struck out in in, in the entire game. Yeah, which is which is that's true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it was a it was a wild wild ending there when Mads hit the home run. The fans fans went crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that was we we literally have. I mean, we've talked about that game several times. We I actually just did a story the other uh, couple of weeks ago about what happened to that ball that Maz hit. It went over the wall and a kid that was walking home from school just happened to be there and, and collected it and uh, took it in to Bill Mazeroski and, and he told the kid to keep it and uh, signed it for him and then he went and played stickball with it and lost it. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that story. Yeah, that, that ball would have been worth a lot of money. <laughs> that, yeah, that would have been an yeah. interesting ball to have. 1960 happens, uh, but you had such a redemption in 1962, especially, I mean, you had an incredible season throughout the whole year, but then what a World Series it was against the San Francisco Giants. Let's just talk about Game 7 and what could be one of the greatest pitching performances, especially in a World Series, and you had it. Game 7, you throw a one to nothing complete game four-hitter to win the World Series in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I started the game, and it was um, I was uh, thankful to get a second opportunity to pitch in the seventh game. So having yeah. having lost one in Pittsburgh, well, when there was a rain out, a couple of days rained out in there, and it just so happened I was able to pitch pitch the third game and uh, against Jack Sanford, their ace that year. I faced him all three games. He won the first game two to nothing, and uh, and then I won the uh, 
this game, I think five to two five to or three. three. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, last game one another. But uh, the uh, I only threw a half a dozen pitches warming up. I was ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. But the um, really the it wasn't the winning or losing and so forth. It, it was the money, you know, the players. We really needed the money in those days. I think the uh, winner share was about twelve thousand, and the losers were was uh, maybe eight thousand or something. But anyway, I retired the first seventeen batters in, in a row, and that's the most consecutive batters retired in a row in the seventh game of a World Series. Wow. Uh, Larson pitched a perfect game, mm-hmm. but that was in uh, what fifth game or fourth game or somewhere in the third, and then the Dodger series. Then the uh, there was two out in the uh, sixth, and I uh, Sanford got a single or second. I Elson Howard, the catcher, called for a curveball, and I shook him off through a fastball, and. Uh, I hit him on the handle, and he blooped it over second for a hit. That's the only time I shook off Elson Howard in the entire game. <laughs> and uh, my uh, my control was really good that game. I only had uh, one three-ball count on a hitter in the entire game, and that was Jim Davenport in the middle of the game. I had him struck out on a 2-2 fastball, belt high, and the umpire called it ball three. And that was the only that was the only three ball count I had on any hitter, but so I I managed to stay ahead of the hitters, and the wind was blowing hard across from left field to right field, in uh, Candlestick Park. It was tough. The balls in the air were really really tough. Our fielders made a great play on on the fly balls and pop ups. Anyway, those are just a few things there. Well, let if I if I may walk you through the bottom of the ninth inning. So you are still on the mound going to the bottom of the ninth inning with a one to nothing lead. Maddie Alou leads off with a, a kind of a drag bunt, which I contend he was out of the batter's box when he struck it, but he still managed to sneak it past <laughs> you and, and get on for a leadoff single. Then Philippe Alou, his brother pinch hits and you strike him out. Then Chuck Hiller mm-hmm. comes up and you strike him out. And then Willie Mays comes up and doubles down the right field line. Alou gets to third. And, and Maris made a good play in the corner there to cut it off so it didn't get right. to the wall, which held Alou at third. And right. then uh, McCovey, Willie McCovey comes up, who had tripled off you in his last at-bat. And he had homered off you in game two. So you've got the tying run at third. And the World Series winning run on second, first base is open, and Orlando Cepeda is behind McCovey on deck. Ralph Hout comes out to talk to you. Do you remember what that conversation was about on the mound? Well, uh, Hout came out to the mound, and uh, the infielders came over. Hout and Nelson Howard there, and uh, it was funny. Uh, Hout said... Uh, he said, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing out here, you know. <laughs> it was funny, you know. <laughs> he said, uh, he said uh, uh, how, how, how do you feel? I said, I feel fine. And he said, Elson, how's your stuff? 
said, good, yeah, he's got good stuff. He said, uh, I'm thinking about uh, how, how would you rather put uh, McCovey on, load the bases, and pitch to Cepeda, a right-hand hitter. And uh, mentally, uh, Cepeda had gotten three hits the day before and had a, really at that time was a, probably a great, had a higher reputation uh, they were both, you know, they had a great lineup. So I said, well, you know, they um, they got in the, the, in the World Series by beating the Dodgers in a playoff, and Stan Williams had to walk somebody the bases loaded uh, in a situation similar, and he ended up walking the next guy, walked him, and walked in, the, <laughs> I think, the lead run. So I said, well, um I I would, you know, I, I said, if I walk him and load the, load the bases, we're in a National League ballpark in the seventh game. It's a National League umpire. There's a lot of pressure on the umpire. And anything close, I probably won't get the call. You know, so with the base load and the umpire that game, he did a great job, really. So I said, let me uh, let me pitch around him here, but give him some good pitches you know, off the plate, inside, outside. And, and then if I fall behind him, uh, then we'll put him on and work on uh, on Cepeda. Okay, that's the deal, you know. And it was funny, uh, Richardson was uh, and Kubek were talking at second base and Willie Mays on second. Kubek was kidding uh, uh, Bobby Richardson, I hope he doesn't hit it to you. You've already made a couple of errors in the series, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and the maze was laughing, you know, they were laughing. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, Cleet Boyer says the only time he's really been nervous is like playing third base, you know. He was really he was really happy when he pitched to McCovey because chances are he wouldn't get a ball hit to him. And he's probably the greatest <laughs> third baseman you ever saw, you know. <laughs> Matty Alou let off with a bunt. Just before that, he had a puff foul right in front of the uh, first base Giants dugout. There's a walk-in dugout, and Elson Howard is camped under. He's got one foot on the first step, and uh, two of the, uh, the the Giants hit him, bumped into him, and bumped him and knocked the ball out of his glove. Oh, boy. And I thought they were going to get in a fight over there, you know. And they said, oh, we were trying to catch you from falling <laughs> in the dugout. <laughs> so, so anyway... Uh, they, uh, so the next pitch, he rather he lays down a beautiful drag bunt. I mean, I usually got off my mound pretty good first base side. I couldn't quite get it, and he's safe. And uh, here we go. So then uh, uh, Felipe Alou comes up. Uh, he tries to bunt a couple of times, and and uh, and, and ends up fouling him off, and then he strikes out. And Chuck Hiller comes up and he tries to bunt a couple of times and, and uh, with, even with the man out. But he fouls it off. Fouled one, one that was close and it trickled foul and, and then uh, struck him out. And then now now comes up comes up Willie and he he hits a shot. Uh, he had a real good pitch. Uh, first two pitches high and inside and inside and inside and then and I went low and outside on him, and he opened up. Looking inside, but he threw his bat at the ball and hit a shot to right field. And Maris made a great 
great pickup and throw, and uh, it was basically a long single that didn't, but he was running over to his left, and the field was wet, and had a lot of range, and uh, and he threw back, and, and he, it was a long, basically a long single, maybe he's got a double, but he hit Bobby in a relay with homers. They were they were excellent on that. It was a great play Maris made. So now I got run right on second, third, and, and, and here we go. But uh, there's an interesting uh, point. Uh, there's, uh, you know what a golden pitch is? A golden pitch? I don't believe I've heard that before. Well, a golden pitch is where the uh, seventh game of the World Series can be won or lost ah. on the outcome of that one pitch. Got it. And there was about a dozen pitches. I threw more than anybody in history. <laughs> uh, Christian Matheson and a lot of great pitches. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, you know, when when uh, they, they got they had one out and, and, a, man, and a man on, they could – the guy, and it wasn't nothing, the guy could have hit a home run and beat him his two to one, or he could have hit into a double play. And 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 it's all over and we win. And so several pitches to him, and then several pitches to Hiller, and then to Mays. Anyway, uh, McCovey uh, comes up, the first pitch I threw was a, was a changeup, but it was really a, an off-speed pitch. I was really trying to kind of bounce it up there, but I went in there kind of high and outside and he he's letting it then he kind of wristed it out and hit a hit a pop fly to right field straight away right and i said oh boy it's all over you know america moved in with the wind blowing hard left to right and the wind took it and blew it over just across the foul line in the dugout and then the uh bullpen where the guys were warming up uh, years later they said oh, he hit this drive and it was just barely foul and <laughs> but he did anyway uh, so the next pitch, I tried to uh, come inside with him with a fastball. He liked he was a low ball hitter and liked the ball out of the plate and uh, placed his pitch. I thought was belt up inside, you know, crowd him, and I didn't get it in quite far up. <clears throat> and he he opened up, did a great job of hitting. Opened up and uh, and uh, hit it. And he used his hands to get at it, and he hit it sharp, but he had a lot of top spin on it. And Richardson was playing him over in the hole more than usual. And uh, I thought about moving him, but, you know, I'd played, uh, I'd played with Bobby all through the minor leagues and several years in the majors, and he had uh, I'd made that mistake before moving him <laughs> around and no sooner got hit right through where he was playing. You don't move around the, the seven-time All-Star, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got some ideas of where to be. Yeah. So he played him over real deep, and uh, and uh, over right. It's like they shade a lot here nowadays. And he was right at him, and the balls hit hard, and it went by me. It was shoulder high. I said, "I got a man over there somewhere. Somewhere, whap was right at him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when that went past you, you knew he was there. You weren't. There were no flashbacks to to two years prior. Well, you, you're like, I got a guy well, there. I, yeah, I knew I was somebody over there, you know, and uh, fortunately I was right at him. So that was it. And then, uh, so uh, DiMaggio was at the game. He says the greatest seventh game he ever saw pitched. He was really uh, a tribute. He lived out there. He was really happy. He said, nice. Rather, he said, after, after the game, he said, Ralph 
signed the contract. As soon as you can, Del Webb, the owner, he lived out there, you know, had swim out there and he said, Webb's so happy you're giving anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> you got a good raise. Yeah, you got a good raise, didn't you, after that? <laughs> well, it wasn't that great. The first guy I signed was Yogi. Yogi signed. He got a good, good contract anyway. So anyway, that, that was it. And, uh, the redemption for two years, you know, in 60 and then in 62, you're getting, you got carried off the field on your teammate's shoulders. I just, yeah. I think that's so awesome. It was, I love watching that video uh, of just yeah. the separation and, and that's so great. I was curious, Mr. Terry, you were given um, a convertible Corvette from Sport Magazine because you were the 62 World Series MVP. You're not still driving that around, are you? No, I kept it for several years and I traded in. It was one of the best cars I ever had. It was, they made it, uh, they presented it to me at the, at the auto show in Kansas City where, uh, where I used to work in Alstreet for a Chevrolet dealer. He had a presentation made there and uh, they'd been dealers since uh, uh, 1923, the original General Motors Chevrolet dealership. And they built wow. one, they built a, a Stingray, the very first. 63 Stingray. They built the next year's model, and it had uh, 300 horsepower, four-speed shift on the floor, and it was a very special made. Uh, so it had a metallic silver paint job and 300 horsepower. Normally, you had they had 260 horsepower with uh, three speeds and automatic transmission. But this thing would run. Uh, it, I could do 130 mile an hour in it. It was unbelievable for a car like wow. that. And, <laughs> wow. Uh, that is I awesome. It. So I, I, I kept it for several years, and it was the best car I ever had. And then I had a couple of boys, my kids. I needed a bigger family car, and uh, I traded in on, on a Cadillac. And it, it was a lemon. No, I'm sorry, it, uh, Lincoln. It was a lemon. It was a bad, bad <laughs> car. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's the story on, on the. Uh, There's a great picture I saw of you after you got that car. You're kind of hanging out with that, holding the baseball and a big smile on your face. That's a yeah. it's a great looking car. And well, that wasn't it. That was another car. That was when they made a quick presentation in New York. Ah. It wasn't the one the one they really built for me. And they they only built the, they only built a handful of those. Uh, like that, uh, the, the original Stingray. Did you uh, wow. did did you get to ride in that car during down the Canyon of Champions during the parade, or did you were you on something else? No, no, they didn't. You mean at the seventh game? Yeah did did, did they have a ticker tape parade in New York in in downtown for you? Uh, no, uh, no, they didn't. Uh, the, the Yankees had won so many that they <laughs> they, they stopped giving those praise. <laughs> oh, that's wow. too bad. <laughs> but uh, when I made the rounds. You know, they uh, they uh, New York treat me treat me pretty good. <laughs> so, no doubt. Yeah. Well, Mr. Terry, I want I want to go back a little bit further. Uh, 1956. Okay, you're a rookie, 20 years old. Um, and the Yankees go to the series uh, that year. Don Larson just happens to do something pretty impressive and throw a perfect game. Um, 
I, I uh, saw an interview with Mickey Mantle talking about that. And he said, you know, during a, during a no hitter in a perfect game, we've talked about superstitions on the show and how you just don't mention it. And he said, uh, if I remember right, he said that Don, Don Larson's nickname was Goonie and he wouldn't shut up about how he was pitching a perfect <laughs> game. Uh, <laughs> is, is that a pretty accurate story? Uh, that's, uh, you know, there's a superstition, you know, when you get in the late innings, the guy's got a no-hitter going, you don't talk about it, you know. And uh, but right. Goonie Bird, he was talking about it. <laughs> anyway, that was, uh, I came up in uh, 56 at the age of 20, and I, from uh, Denver, I was 11 and 2 there in AAA in the American Association, and uh, they, uh, they they started me in Boston. They lost six games in a row in losing streak there in August. And Boston had won six in a row. Stingle was going to start me in, in Detroit on Saturday before that. And uh, we were in the clubhouse. The phone rings, and Stingle had his desk in there and went in the locker room with everybody else. And it was George Weiss, the general manager. And uh, Weiss said, who are you pitching? And he says, uh, Terry. Rookie, and he said, No, no, you got to switch to uh, Bob Turley. Pull it, Bob Turley. And he said, uh, Who's running this ball club, me or you? You know, <laughs> and uh, I said, You're in targeted. And why said, No, no, it's a uh, game of the week. You know, on Saturday was a big deal with Dizzy Dean and so forth. And we got to put a big name out there. <laughs> Nobody's heard of it. <laughs> you know, boy, Bob Turley. So, Anyway, Turley, Turley gets beat, and then we lose. Why did he lose a Sunday? We go to Boston, six in a row, and Casey started me against Brewer. Their ace was 15-3. and I beat him, I think, 4-3, to three, and Boston broke the losing streak. And I was the youngest pitcher uh, the Yankees ever started in Fenway Park. So then uh, broke the losing streak, and, I, and they kept me around for about a month, and then they activated Enos Slaughter and took me off the roster. I didn't play in the World Series. But uh, for winning that one game, I got a fourth of the share of the World Series, uh, $2,400. Imagine that. <laughs> well, that would be a quarter of a million. You know, be, uh, <laughs> imagine so. <laughs> so I bought a, I bought a, uh, an old, old used Ford, a new shotgun, and it put me through college that winter. <laughs> nice. Well, that's twenty four hundred, and uh, they never gave me a Yankees never gave me a World Series ring. You know, like you had oh, you know, wow. year twenty five, and I tried to uh -oh. get one in later years. You know, because everybody gets one, and I, was, I broke the losing streak. The players voted me for their share, but the the Yankees couldn't afford it. <clears throat> couldn't. <laughs> so Apparently I got a ring. I don't have a ring. I'm not happy about that. Did you get a ring in from 61 or 62, or you just never got yeah. one? Oh, yeah, I got I got those. I played on seven pennant runners, winners, three world champions. Anyway, well, the next year, 57, they traded Billy Martin to uh, Kansas City, and I was a young pitcher. I got thrown in the deal. And, uh, right. So I went to Kansas City for two years, and then... And then they uh, they traded me back. Uh, I pitched a couple of good games against the Yankees. And then uh, anyway, Casey said, "I got I got rid of you, kid, and I got you back." <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great. Uh, he was a great manager. Yeah, 
what uh you got to have some good Casey Stengel stories. Oh, uh, Casey, Casey was he was a, he was a great storyteller. The uh, I'll tell you one that uh, the uh, uh, Baltimore had a big pitcher. I forget his name. Had a big uh, big slow curve, and uh, Mickey used to strike out. And he'd come in and he'd throw the bat in the rack and and throw his helmet down and kick the water cooler and he was really mad and he struck out, you know. And, and Billy Martin and they were close buddies. He'd imitate him. Then he realized he'd throw his bat, throw his helmet, kick, and cuss, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so Casey had a special meeting. He said, "All right, you guys are getting where it ain't safe in that dugout when you strike out." He said, "You got to learn to." You got to learn to take it, bite your lip. He said, uh, better yet, laugh it off, you know. <laughs> so so we're playing this uh, Baltimore, this big right-hander, got this curveball, and, and Mickey strikes out, chases one in the dirt, comes in, puts his helmet in the rack, plays, puts his bat in the rack, goes over, has a sip of water, sits down on the bench, and doesn't say a word, you know. Billy strikes out, comes in, puts his Puts his bat in the rack, puts his hell in the rack, goes in, has a sip of water, sits down, doesn't say a word, you know. So next time up, he strikes him out again. And they didn't say a word, you know. And then they laid down the dugout floor, started laughing, grabbing their ribs, and rolling the floor. Ha ha ha, you got me again on that smoke and struck me out. <laughs> Casey, Casey said, all right, knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. But uh, Casey loved Billy Martin. You know, when they got traded traded together, I got, it was a Saturday night, and I had to pitch all batting practice. The trade deadline was on June the 15th, and I said, I know I've been, I've been traded. You know, so after the game, he calls me in. Yeah, we made a little trade. I said, where am I going? You know, where you're going? Uh, there have been rumors that Hector Lopez and I were going to Boston or, or, the, or the Giants. And uh, he said, you're going to New York, the Yankees. He was, all right, you know. And uh, I said, who's involved? And he named Lumpy's, Dirtman, Cox, and his other guys are traded for us. I said, seems like you gave up uh, a heck of a lot more than you got. He said, yeah, he said, I didn't make this trade. Weiss made this trade. He said, that Martin, he's one hell of a player. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, I, you know, I went, well, Casey, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be out to be sure. <laughs> First game I pitched against him in New York, about a week later, I walked Mickey on a 3-2 pitch. The curveball was a strike. And now a good pitch up, I call it a ball four. He was about third. That's the only base runner they had until two men out in the eighth inning. Wow. And uh, I ran out of gas. And, you know, Suitcase Simpson was a guy who traded, got a, got a double and beat me, uh, one to nothing. And but oh. anyway, next time I faced him in, in July, I shut out Bob Turley, one to nothing, the race in Kansas City. And the Yankees only got shut out two times in the entire year that year. And uh, wow. they had quite a lineup. Anyway, 
that was we had we had some battles. <laughs> so Casey said, "I got rid of you, and I got you back." <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, did you ever go out on any of those wild nights with Mickey Mantle and, and Billy Martin and and that gang out on the town in New York? No, they were. I was a little, little too young for that. <laughs> too, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I didn't. Uh, well, I've, I've been out with. Uh, Mickey was good. We grew up in the same uh, neighboring towns in uh, high school. He was a senior out in eighth grade. And my brother played against him, and I played against his brothers. And uh, so I knew him. I saw him play in high school. And uh, never saw him play baseball, but I saw him play basketball and football. And he was a great, he was a hell of a football player. He was fast and halfback. I mean, he run wheels right by the, and getting the secondary, and it was like everybody was standing still. But uh, he was, uh, he'd take, we'd go out to, uh, he'd take me out to dinner. I stayed, he had a suite in, uh, in Manhattan, and I'd spend many nights with him. And we, uh, we'd go to dinner and to all the places, and, he never picked up a tab. They never charged him anything. You know, but, <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, no kidding. Too short, Danny's Hideaway, all the great places. And, and uh, he always left World Series ticket box seats for him, you know, for, for Toots and Danny. And, and uh, when he was, uh, he, was a, he was a special guy, a great teammate. And we played a lot of golf together. I heard that he was super fast, uh, you know, before he... Got in, you know, his knees obviously took a beating, but yeah, everything yeah. I heard was that he was always, before he got injured, one of the fastest guys and just an all around incredible player. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was, he was still fast on one leg. He, run. <laughs> but, uh, he could have led the league and stolen bases, but they never, uh, he, the only time he'd steal was with, if we were a tie game or one run game, you know. Uh, so, uh, he was special. He was one of the truly great players of all time. I remember um, he was recruited by Oklahoma University as a football player, as a runner. Daryl Royal was an All-American there before he later became a coach. And uh, and he showed him, he showed Mickey around the campus, you know, one day. And years later, we were playing in a golf tournament with Daryl in Austin, Texas. And, uh, and uh, Mickey said, uh, well, Daryl, you remember that time when Bud Robinson had you Show me around the campus there at Norman, and he said, "No, oh, he didn't remember." And he said, well, "Yeah, but you weren't making mantle in." Can I ask you? I want to ask you about a player in particular, uh, Rocky sure. Calavito. He oh. had. <laughs> <laughs> Well, his numbers against you, he went 26 for 82, which is a 317 average and 13 home runs. Mm -hmm. You became a teammate with him, though, in 1965 in Cleveland. Did you ever yeah. just say to him, hey, man, what did I ever do to you? Why? <laughs> you well, must a lot have... of times we had big leads. Well, one time he beat me. It really, it was a two to one game. He had two solo home runs and beat me in Cleveland. And, uh, oh. No, he was a tough hitter, boy. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. And he's, he's yeah, he bad, you know, he, he was he was a great player, he was a great guy. Yeah, Rocky, but yeah, a lot of games. Uh, you know, I gave home runs. We scored a lot of runs. You know, on 
you don't walk anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But, uh, he was a great hitter. He, he crowded the plate, you know, and, uh, you know, Rocky was, uh, uh, he was a great player and a great, great teammate. All right, so we will have the second part of that interview next week where we've just got some more great stories about his time, batters he's faced, some great stories from some of those great Yankee teammates that he had, as well as some other players of just names that we have only heard about, you know, in highlight films and record books. And uh, we get to hear some stories from Mr. Terry of him talking to them and, and facing them and uh, helping them or just, uh, I, I, this was Mark, you and I were on a high as soon as we, we got off the phone with him yeah. today. Yeah. It, it, for, for a couple guys who love baseball history, chatting with uh, Mr. Terry was um, just an amazing time. It really was. You're going to enjoy this interview. And, and also, don't forget, we will put in the show notes where you can uh, pick up his book right down the middle. And it's, I'm, I'm just excited for everybody to, uh, to get to hear more of, of this. All right. So, Mark, we did not have any baseball cards from uh, the 1960s that we could play a, an episode of no. Wax Packs Hero. With Mr. They were a little out of they were a little out of the show's budget. No, we get the 1960s. It is funny though. I do have a complete team set of the 1962 Giants top set that I collected uh, individually, which was you know it was expensive back in the uh, the mid 90s when I did it, but now is worth quite a bit more. But that's Willie Mays, Gaylord Perry rookie card. You know, McCovey's obviously there. Orlando Cepeda. It, it's a it's a great team. Yeah, we're not going to use that. Absolutely. <laughs> so, no, Mark, it's no, just okay. going to be you and me, and we're going to play another episode of Wax Packs Hero. You're on a, hot, a bit of a hot streak here, Mark. You've won the last three contests in a row. Very disappointing yes. to me. We are going to today, we're going to open a couple of packs of 86 Donruss, and we could set some records here. Uh, there are some very valuable cards here when we are looking at our May 1992 Beckets. There is the uh, kind of the granddaddy of them all is the Jose Canseco rookie card, which is at this point was valued at $55. Uh, there's also a Fred McGriff rookie card that's $14. Uh, Roger Clemens is uh, clocking in at $650. And we've got a bunch of other cards that are worth over a dollar. So we are looking at some potential high value cards here. Possible barn burner. Possible. We could be, we could be, you know, if one of these packs happens to hold two Jose Canseco rookie cards, <laughs> we could break the hundred dollar barrier. I'm not That's counting right. on it, it, but we could. All right. I got two of them here, Mark. I've got left hand and I got right hand. Which one would you like? I'm going to go right hand this time. Right hand. All right. Well, I'm going to steal that right away from you when I'm taking that pack. Because there I told goes. you I wasn't going to do it till I really got in the hole, and I'm really in the hole. You're up six to three. I've got your pack here. Do you want to? Because I stole your pack because I'm the commissioner. Do you want to go first, or you want to be the home team? Um, I'd like to go first. I like right. going first. All right. So before we open this pack, let's go over the rules really quick. Uh, we are going to, as I said, use a May 1992 Beckett. We're going to be using those prices to price this out. A couple of extra rules. If you are sporting a mustache, we're going to give you an extra cent. 
if you're sporting a really sexy mustache, we're going to give you two cents because the ladies love sexy mustaches. Real stirrups, if we can see them, you're going to get an extra cent. If you're sporting the two-in-ones, which I would be willing to bet we're not going to see in these 86 cards, we're going to minus a cent. If you are wearing a sweatband that has your caricature or your jersey number on it, that is pimping, and we are going to give you an extra cent for that. If you are wearing glasses of any sort, we're going to give you a cent for that as well. If you are wearing high tops, which I don't think we're going to see in this pack, uh, although Bill Buckner wore high tops in 86, so... Well, I'm just going to throw it out there. We're going to minus a cent because that's not a good look. If you are wearing high tops and wearing two and ones, we're going to minus two cents because that's a crime against humanity. And uh, I think those are all our rules. So let's get right into it. All right. We have got included in this is a Hank Aaron puzzle piece. So if you're collecting those, this is piece uh, seven, eight, and nine. I already have that one. All right. Let's get right into it here. We're going to start with a Yankee. He's a pitcher. Sounds like our guest, Ralph Terry, but no, this is a little bit less known pitcher. It is Brian Fisher. Brian Fisher. Wow. I have, I don't have any memory of him. I do not either. And this is a, a rookie card, but there is uh, no, no value in Beckett's, which is rare when it's a rookie card. Let's see. Brian Fisher ended up pitching seven years in the big leagues. He bounced around for uh, four teams. He was a Mariner apparently in huh. uh, 1992. He went four and three. Huh. Yeah, I don't remember I that no at all. <laughs> but yeah. uh, no extra no extra value there. So uh, that's a big nothing. Here we've got a rated rookie card, and this guy had a pretty good career. Uh, it's John Haben, pitcher for the Orioles. At least I think he did. Sure. That name sounds familiar to me. Yeah, me too. I, I couldn't give you uh, on-the-spot statistics, but uh, yes. I guess it's Habian, <laughs> not Haben. I, I okay. dyslexic today, apparently. Yeah, he pitched for 11 years in the big leagues. Uh, ended oh, wow. up mostly being a reliever. Yeah, if I could stick around for 11 years in the big leagues, I would take that. This is his rookie card. It's a rated rookie card. That does not equate to anything in Beckett, though. And <laughs> there is uh, no value there. So, so far, you're, you're striking out. You've got a second What's rated rookie card. It? And I believe we've pulled this guy before, because that tells me that I think he stuck around for a little bit. It is Johnny Abrego. <laughs> this Abrego. is an interesting wax pack hero. <laughs> Did things change really that much from 85 to 86 to 87? Because I'm, I'm drawing blanks on these guys. This is weird. Well, maybe he did. Well, okay, I say that, but he pitched for one year. He only appeared in six games, so... I, okay, uh, I won't blame I, myself. I guess we have not pulled him, unless we the last time we did 86, Don Russ. Uh, he did not have a great season. 24 innings pitched, 32 hits, 18 runs, walked 12 and struck out 13. So that's a whip of 1.8 <laughs> for a starter. That's yeah, not going to keep you around. Let's see. I'm going to guess that doesn't have any value. Uh, it does not in Beckett, but he is sporting a mustache. And he's got real stirrups, so you're on the board with two cents. So yes. You can't, All right. hate, well, you can't hate that. Score two for Johnny Washington. All right, this guy we've heard of, Ben Ogilvie, outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers. Sure, Ogilvie, pretty good ball player, if I remember. He had, uh, if I remember, he was pretty quick and he had a little bit of pop, or I could be 100% wrong. <laughs> so Ben Ogilvie had uh, 87 career stolen bases. He had double digits a couple of times. He led the league the American League in 1980 with 41 home runs. Wow. That's not bad. 235 no. home runs in a 16-year career. Huh. But uh, no value in Beckett, and uh, there is nothing going on there that's going to get you any extra points. 
You're threatening no. to end up with two cents uh, for this I, entire this pack. Is- so. It's a little rough right now, but I have a feeling things are going to pick up. <laughs> All right. Next, we've got a catcher for the San Francisco Giants. He has uh, managed. He has been a broadcaster. I think he was. Uh, he might still even be with the Cubs uh, on radio or TV. I'm not sure. Bob Brenly. Yeah. Yeah. Brenly was a fixture for the Giants for a good while. Uh, yeah. Bob Brenly. Where else did he? I think he was. Didn't he play for the Angels at some point? Uh he did not. He played for Toronto is the only other team he played for and in only 48 games. I don't know yeah. why I thought yeah, he yeah. was uh, in California, but he ended up playing nine years, nine total with San Francisco and just that partial year in Toronto. And then he was traded back to San Francisco. Card is not worth anything in Beckett's and uh, yeah, nothing. So <laughs> I was excited for these packs, but what, what happened is this is actually my pack, but uh, I remember yeah, I traded what happened. All right, next we've got pitcher for the Twins. It is Pete Filson. Pete Filson for the Twins. I, I'm going to say this is a great-looking card. He has got that, uh, what's that, and I use the word comedian very loosely, that's got the ventriloquist, he's the, he does the dummies. And he's Jeff got Dunham? The, Jeff Dunham. He's got that old man puppet. <laughs> yeah. You know what that yeah. face looks like? He is making yeah, this exactly. face. He's, he is about to release the ball, and he is making this face. 100%. I will post it on Twitter. <laughs> he looks like Walter. Okay, that, that's his name. He's got real stirrups I on this. So. so you're going to get what, one cent there. This will Yay. make you happy. Outfielder for the Astros, Kevin Striped Bass. Ah, uh, gotta love Kevin Bass. One of my favorites of all time. Yeah, he's not going to be worth any money, but um, he is, you know, he may not be anything in Beckett, but he is number one in my heart. Well, you know he's going to get one cent because he always had that sweet mustache. Oh, yeah. Let's see. It's it's kind of a, these are not. They really need to work on their exposure settings on these cards. I can't. I would. I would think he would have a two center, but I can't tell. It's too dark. I know there's one there. Now I'm a I'm a little disappointed that I switched packs. Now uh, this oh, next yeah. card is a Hall of Famer. Nice. This next card is uh, in 1986. He's an outfielder for the New York Yankees. He's got a mustache. Any any yeah, guesses? Is it, is it Ricky? <laughs> yeah, it could have been it could have been Dave Winfield, but it is Ricky yeah. Henley Lee Henderson. I traded him away. Yeah, and, I remember uh, him playing for the Yankees. I didn't like that. <laughs> I I didn't hate it. Uh, I was uh, I had a Yankee hat at that point. As, as soon as he was traded, I had a Yankee hat. Oh, nice. I am going to hate it here though because Beckett has this card listed at a dollar twenty five. Ooh. He is a Hall of Famer, and he's got a mustache. So that card is worth one dollar and thirty-one cents, <laughs> which brings your total to one thirty-five. <laughs> like I said, you know, a late bloomer does eventually bloom. That's. Uh, I'm gonna just take that card and put that aside, though. <laughs> Dang. All right, uh, we pulled this guy last week. First baseman for the Atlanta Braves, Gerald Perry. Gerald Perry was a good ball player, good hitter. Actually, played some pretty decent defense, if I remember. Yeah, we went over his stuff last week. No value in Beckett and uh, no extra value there. We can just cruise through the rest of these. I think you already have this wrapped up with my favorite <laughs> player of all time. Uh, next Maybe is, you get that Jose Canseco. <laughs> next is pitcher for the Oakland A's, Chris Cotteroli. I remember Chris Cotteroli with uh, Tacoma. I wasn't working there then, but I was. Uh, we had season tickets. I, I recall Chris I Cotteroli do not quite rem- well. Uh, yeah, I don't remember Chris Cotteroli at all. He pitched for eight years in the big leagues, though. Uh, 
most of it's it with Oakland. I haven't heard that name in forever. Yeah. Wow. He yeah. went 12 and 12 and 83 and 14 and 14 and 85. <laughs> wow. The ultimate 500 pitcher. Yeah. He led the league in starts in 1985 with 37. But wow. uh, that is, that's really about it. I, yeah, I do not know him. He was a first round draft pick by the Tigers in 78. Nothing, huh. nothing much there. Uh, nothing in Beckett. Boy. They have really got to work on that. I think I see a blonde mustache. I, it's really hard to tell with these. Whoever took these pictures was not really working hard. Next catcher <laughs> for the Twins, it's Tim Laudner. Went on to have a pretty good career. Yep, yep. He was a catcher right before Brian Harper. Brian Harper, Tim Laudner spent his entire career in Minnesota, actually. Yeah, and, and Harper was his backup for a while, eventually won the starting job. Laudner's a local guy. He went to high school in Minnesota. And uh, was eventually drafted by the Twins in the third round in 79. So that must have been cool to play at home. No value, though, from Beckett and nothing extra. Next, we have got, I think this guy was in the wax pack pack of uh, 86 tops. But here it is, Tim Cocoron. I I couldn't say his name when we talked about him. And I can't say his name now. Uh, Yeah, you got me lost on that one, too. Cocoron? I'm going to just... Any good that we did for for our kangaroo court for proactively uh, finding a mistake is probably just gone now. No value, though, in Beckett, and uh, I I think he's got a mustache. I'll give you a mustache. Again, really hard to see. All right. All right, next uh, pitcher for the uh, Red Sox is Mark Clear. Mark Clear. Man, I'm, again, at a loss. I seem to remember him just because I think he, you know, obviously he was on the 86 Red Sox. See, did he appear in the postseason that year? Oh, he didn't. No, he appeared in. He was on the Angels in '79 and went to uh, to the playoffs. But I guess he did not make that. Oh, he was traded since this in '80s era released or let's see, in '85 to '86, he was traded for Ed Romero to the Brewers. Hmm. There you go. No mm-hmm. value from Beckett, but he's got real stirrups and he's got a sweet mustache. So that's two cents. So you're up to a dollar thirty-nine now. Second to last card, we've talked about him a couple of times, Brian Downing for the Angels. Brian 10 Downing Street, yes. You know, he used to hit leadoff for them. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, he was (laughs) not your prototypical leadoff hitter at this point in time. He he got on base all the time, though, so that's why they used him there. And this is a great card because he has got some pythons coming out of those sleeves. Nice. It's a good-looking card. He is flexing those muscles. And he's wearing those glasses. So you're going to get one oh, cent because of that. Nice. Uh, I'm not sure that you're going to get any value from the card. Yeah, no value from the card, but you're going to get one cent for the glasses. 20 years he was in the big leagues. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Le- he only led the league in one category one time. He led the league in walks in 1987 when he was batting leadoff. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Wow. On base percentage for 1987, 400. That's... Yeah. That's getting the job done. He had a great eye. 370 lifetime uh, on base. Wow. Not bad at all. <laughs> but uh, only no. one cent there. Uh, that'll bring you up to 140, though, which is a very, very, very good score. And your final card is somebody that I am not familiar with. Tommy Dunbar, outfielder for the Rangers. Tommy Dunbar. No, you got me on that one, too. Uh, let's take a quick peek here at old Tommy Dunbar. Um, I'm not uh, even able to pull him up in baseball card, baseball card in uh, baseball reference. Uh, yeah, not, no value there. 
Well, I'm going to give you a mustache. I really can't tell. These cards are very disappointing <laughs> with their uh, exposure settings. But uh, that will wrap up your pack. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit scared. A dollar forty-one, and you pulled a Ricky Henderson card. That's yeah. I think that was supposed to be your pack. It was. My lawyers will be uh, contacting you soon. So let's go ahead again. and oh, again. Yeah, let's go ahead. We'll open up my pack. Uh, another puzzle piece: fifty-eight, fifty-nine, and sixty. All right, we're going to start off with a pitcher for the San Diego Padres. I know we pitched for the Yankees at one point as well. Tim Stoddard. Tim Stoddard. Yeah, I remember Tim Stoddard. Uh, I do as well. It was probably around for a good amount of time. Let's see, he played 14 or 15 years. Uh, one off, 13 years in the big leagues, mostly with Baltimore. That was uh, long before I was watching baseball, though, in the late 70s. Yeah. But uh, let's see. I just like to, I always like to look at these guys and see who they've been traded for. And uh, yeah, yeah that's always interesting. Traded for Wayne Gross, who I, I know that name is an A's fan. And he was also traded for Ed Whitson. Sure. But uh, no value in there from Beckett. Definitely he's got real stirrups. I think, yeah, I can see a mustache too. So that's going to get me two cents. I'm on the board. I'm ahead of your pace. I just don't know if I. <laughs> that's right. All right, next we've got a guy. This guy was definitely in the Wax Pack 86 pack. It's Steve Yeager, catcher for the Dodgers. Yeah, didn't he set the, like a world record for speed? No, that's a different Yeager. Never mind. <laughs> no, but Steve was one of those last guys that wore a, you know, instead of wearing a helmet under his catcher's gear, he just wore a backwards hat. He and Rick Dempsey did that. Yes. Also, Steve Yeager posed in Playgirl, as we found out. When, uh, when we talked to Brad Belucci. Nice. And was also had a, was just a, a nice guy. Uh, he was a World Series MVP. We should just mention that because uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but we had one on today. <laughs> yes. You have uh, to guess who it was, though. Yes. Uh, Steve Yeager was the World Series MVP in 1981 when the Dodgers beat the Yankees. We've got a lot of Yankee stuff going on. There. Yeah. No, uh, no value from Beckett, though, and uh, no extra value going on. I got a checklist card, which is... A, Never a good thing. Next, this guy. Bonus. This guy played quite a bit. Good utility infielder Wayne Tolleson here with the Texas Rangers. Yeah, I remember him mostly with the Rangers. He could play pretty much anywhere. I remember him mainly from the Yankees. Again, because a lot of these guys were on the Yankees in the uh, mid-80s when Ricky was. So, therefore, right. I remember him. Father of Steve Tolleson, who's just recently been in the big leagues. He came up with Oakland and then Baltimore and Toronto. Wayne came up with Texas, and uh, he also played five years with the Yankees. So he was around for 11 years. That's a good career, good utility infielder. Nice. He was traded by the White Sox with Ron Kittle and Joel Skinner to the Yankees for Ron Hassey and a couple of other guys. Names that are familiar mm. to me. No value in Beckett. He's got glasses, those science teacher glasses, and he's got a mustache. So that's going to get me two cents. These are some wide-striped pants that the Rangers were wearing at this point. That's like marching band-esque. Those are some wide ones, but uh, that'll get me two cents. Next card, this is always weird to see. Catcher outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers, Charlie Moore. Catcher outfielder. Yeah. That's a rarity. I've seen it happen. Well, I think we've seen his, his card before because... I know we've commented on a catcher-outfielder combo before, and I, I'm just wondering if it was Charlie Moore. Hmm. Let's see. For uh, He played 15 years, 14 of which were with the Brewers, 
And uh, let me just look here. Uh, Catcher, left field, right field. Catcher, left field. Uh, He played, he he truly was an outfielder. He played in all three outfield positions as well as a catcher. Wow. Okay. That's pretty valuable. He played center field? Yeah, he played center field. (laughs) Catcher, center fielder. Don't know if I've seen too many of those. Yeah, that's pretty valuable because, I mean, technically... He doesn't have to be your backup catcher. He can just, you can have two right. catchers and this guy can play a couple of different positions. Uh, no value yep. though in Beckett, but he's got a, he's got a good mustache, not a two center, but he's got a mustache. So that'll get me one cent. I'm up to five cents. Next outfielder for the Mets. I seem to believe this guy was a highly rated prospect that never panned out. John Christensen. I don't know, man. That, I doesn't sound familiar. I, for some reason, want to say that he was, Thought of rather highly. He only played for four years. He was a Mariner in 87, but Mm. uh, never hit higher than 273 and uh, did not Mm. do much. Not, uh, he was traded for Calvin or with Calvin Schiraldi at one point for Bob Ojeda. Yeah. And was traded uh, for Dave Henderson and Spike Owen when he was sent to the Mariners. Wow. So they must have thought. That's how the Mariners lost Spike, huh? They must have thought something of him to give up those guys. Man, I guess so. No value in Beckett. And uh, he's got a mustache, though. And, oh, and real stirrups. So I'm still quite a ways off. Only seven cents. Next, we've got pitcher. We've talked about this guy many, many times. It is Teddy Higuera, pitcher for the Brew Crew. Absolutely. Teddy Higuera, 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 however you want to say it. Good pitcher. So this is his rookie card. That's promising. He's got some real stirrups on. Uh, Teddy Higuera rookie card at this point was going for 15 cents. Normally, that would be an awesome score. Yeah. <laughs> so with those real stirrups, uh, that'll give me 16 cents on this card. And that'll bring me up to 23 cents. Full name, Teodoro Valenzuela Higuera. So, wow. Okay. fun to say. Next, I'm going to guess this card's not going to be worth anything in Beckett, but he's got a two-cent mustache. Pitcher for the Rangers, Chris Welsh. Chris Welsh, yeah. I, I remember him only for his two-cent mustache. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to give myself a third cent because he's got another uh, mustache-looking bunch of hair coming out of his collar as well. He, <laughs> remember, you, you know that famous picture of Burt Reynolds where he's shirtless and just like he's wearing a fur sweater? Yes. This, I, I believe Chris Welsh is in that boat. But uh, I'm just going to get two cents for the mustache. I, I can't, the, the chest mustache we're not giving cents out for. All right, pitcher. The chest dash. Next, we've got pitcher for Atlanta. We've talked about him before because he was just a member of some awful rotations for the mid 80s Braves. Rick Mahler. Mailer? Mahler. Rick Rick Junk Mailer. Mailer. I'll get it right eventually. Yeah, uh, not a bad pitcher, but like you said, he was not on the uh, best of teams for many years. Let's see. He was. how long did he spend in Atlanta? He spent 11 years on that Braves pitching staff. Led the league in losses in 1986. Ouch. As well Ouch. as hits surrendered and runs earned runs given up. He led the league in hits uh, surrendered four out of five years in the mid-80s. Wow. Wow. What wow. I mean, that, okay. we've, we've covered it. Those were not good Braves teams. Oh, no, no. He, he had no defense back in him, and he, you know, he had so many losses because that's all he did right then is lose. Yeah, his brother was also on some of those Braves teams, Mickey Mailer. Really? I don't yeah. recall that. Spent eight years in the big leagues, three of which were with Atlanta. 
Huh. No value in Beckett, and he's got a mustache, and I can just see a sliver of real stirrups. So that'll get me two cents. I'm up to 27. This is not a Hall of Famer, unfortunately, but it might get me some money. I don't think it's going to get me Ricky Henderson money. It is first baseman, ex-boyfriend of Elaine Bennis, uh, he of the <laughs> second spitter fame, also a member of the, uh, got caught up in the Pittsburgh drug trials, one of the best defensive first basemen, really, I think, of the 80s and 90s, Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez, an uh, old buddy of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've shared our run-ins. I think yours was no, kind of edited. I, I've never I've never told the Keith Hernandez story on the show, maybe someday. Yeah, we'll have to get a Patreon going so people can hear the after dark <laughs> stories. I think I told mine, though, because I, I just briefly again, Mets were playing the Mariners. We were eating in, in the media dining. I was talking about Keith Hernandez's book, which I th- believe was called When On First or Who's On First, one of the two. And it was a ghost written diary of the 86 season. And I really enjoyed it. It was one of the first baseball books I read where kind of like, you know, ball four, where it gives you insight to major league players. And I said within the rather loud voice. And then I found out Keith Hernandez didn't even write it. It was ghostwritten. And everybody kind of <laughs> gave me the side eye and I turned around and my back was, <laughs> Keith Hernandez was sitting right behind me in the table next. So, it was a piece of a sitcom is what it was. Yeah, right there. It, was, it was good. So that's an eight cent card only. Only eight cents, but he's got that mustache. So that'll get me nine cents, bring me up to 36 cents. Next infielder for the Chicago White Sox, Luis Salazar. Luis Saladbar, absolutely. Um, he, he's another. Was he like a second baseman, shortstop kind of guy? Yeah, he was a he was a utility infielder. Let's see. What, I remember uh, him. What Luis Salazar? Good career. Thirteen years in the big leagues. Uh, huh? Played main position was was third base, but he played all three outfield positions. Boy, I mean, yeah, he's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, in 1988, wow. he did. He played every position except for pitcher. Wow. So that's uh, not bad. Yeah, that's not bad work if you can uh, if you can get it. He was traded mm-hmm. for a lot of guys. He traded for Ozzy Guillen. Yeah, he was traded oh, for Ozzy Guillen. That's how the White Sox got Ozzy Guillen. Was uh, wow. he was included in in a in a trade with uh, Luis Salazar. But uh, no money in Beckett. No, well, he's got he's got one of those 430 well, I'm going to give it to me because he's clean shaven in the beard section, but he's got a little wispy mustache. And frankly, frankly, I'm not going to catch you. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's 37 cents. Next, Alejandro Sanchez, outfielder for the Tigers. This is a good looking card. He has got a he large, got right? he's got a large cranium. That's the only way to put it. And it takes that's up a the, huge noggin. Yes. It takes up the whole picture. No value from Beckett, but he's got a nice mustache. That'll get me one cent. Next, I have got. I want to say this guy had a good career and I think it's somebody that I don't know a whole lot about. And I think he did a, he had uh, some good numbers. Gary Maddox here, uh, outfielder oh, with man. the Phillies. Yeah, I remember him. Came in fifth in the MVP voting in 1976. He was a rookie in hmm. 72. So yeah, this is long before I was watching baseball. 86 was his final year. He only appeared in six games. He played 15 years in the big leagues. And now I know how I remember Gary Maddox. His nickname is the Secretary of Defense. Oh, really? Yeah. Secretary of Defense. Let's see. Did he? Oh, yeah. Let's see how many gold gloves. How many fingers do I have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine gold gloves consecutively between, uh, between the years 1975 and 1982. He won the gold glove every single year. Wow. 
as a center amazing. fielder. That's yeah. really amazing. That's how I, I knew I knew he was a good player, and that is how that's where I remember that. A member of the 1980 World Series Phillies team and eight Gold Gloves consecutively. So that's darn impressive. So he's got a beard and a mustache, which is good. Uh, the card in Beckett is not worth anything, but he has got a. This is interesting. I'm going to ask for a ruling here. He's got a McDonald's sweatband on. <laughs> He's wearing the golden <laughs> arches on his sweatband. Now, that is neither a caricature nor his jersey number, but it's McDonald's. What do you think? Should it, can you throw a cent my way? I think I think it's fair enough. Uh, I mean, because it's going to be an extreme rarity. Absolutely. <laughs> I am going to have to do some research and find out why in the world is he wearing a McDonald's sweatband? Maybe they were a giveaway at the stadium that day and he thought he'd wear them. Maybe, Maybe he was yeah. pushing McDonald's there locally. I don't know. I'm going to look that up. See if I can find any. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, next I got two cards left. Second baseman for Cleveland, Tony Bernazard. I can never say his name. I remember Tony. Tony Bernazard got traded for uh, my friend Brian Dorset. Brian Dorset sure comes up a lot. We need to we need to get him on the horn. Yeah, I know. That's a good call. Let's see. Tony Bernazard played for ten years. One year in Oakland. One year in Seattle. Cleveland, Chicago were his main calls of port. He was also traded for Julio Cruz, your buddy. Oh, wow. Also traded for Gorman Thomas and Jack Perconte. I don't know why I thought I knew that name. Uh, also, and then traded for Daryl Ackerfeltz and Brian Dorsett. There you go. So he was traded for some guys that we've definitely talked about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No value from Beckett's. He's got a good mustache. He's got a good smile here, too. He's happy to be having his picture, his picture taken. But that'll only get me one cent. I'm up to 41 cents, and my final card... I only trail by $1 exactly. So this is all of my hopes and dreams are riding on pitcher for the Mets, Ed Lynch. Oh, yes. You think it's going to, you think Ed Lynch is going to pull it out? Yeah, I think that's for sure a $10 card. Well, it's a one cent card because he's got real stirrups. Give or take $10. Yeah, Yeah, that was a disappointment. That, that, That just hurts that you pulled a Ricky and that he alone defeated me and that I stole the pack. It's just, yeah, that's just karma. remember it wasn't my fault. It was not my doing. Yeah, that's karma. Uh, I, I now trail <laughs> seven to three in, in wow. the standings. So I'm starting to lose ground rapidly. But uh, mm, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> we need some, some newer cards, maybe. You yeah. know, some of these uh, national treasures that are like $800 a box. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody wants to donate <laughs> some, some good cards. Uh, I am going to keep this Ricky card, though. I'm just telling you right now. I'm pulling it right cool. out. Oh, yeah. All right, so that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, We want to, again, extend our thanks to uh, Ralph Terry. Really great getting to talk with him. Uh, We will have more with our conversation with him next week. Also, be sure to check out all the show notes. I will put the links to where you can buy his book there. You can get it on a Kindle, so you can get it instantaneously. And a lot of these stories, as well as a lot more, are in that book. So really, we're just we're so thankful that uh, he made time to come and talk with us. And we really, really enjoyed it. So uh, yeah, next week, awesome. we'll have more with, with uh, Ralph Terry. Uh, make sure to check out his book right down the middle. And uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners as usual. We really do appreciate it. And I I've, I've really do appreciate all of the social media 
uh, messages we've been getting. And I, I have to apologize. I don't check Instagram as often as I do Twitter. And uh, we've been getting a lot of people talking to us on, uh, on Instagram. So I will start to check that more often. We can be found on both Twitter and Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. We also post things throughout the week uh, having to do with baseball history and all that good kind of stuff. So Mark, they can also uh, send us an electronic email. Do you want to tell them where they can send that? Sure. Our electronic mail address is Two Strike Noise. Again, spell it out, T-W-O. Strike noise at gmail.com. An electronic email. That's like a pin number. I was. That's your, I was being your pin number. Yeah. Let's <laughs> file that into the Department of Redundancy Department. Redundancy, there you go. Whatever that is. You know what joke I was going for. Anyway, uh, thank everybody. We hope you will be back next week. We'll have part two of our conversation with Ralph Terry. In the meantime, Stay healthy, and we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.